Hello and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 183. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis and I have yet another Generation X extravaganza for you today. <laughs> uh, this one's going to be super niche because uh, it's about both Gen X and theater. And um, I, there's, not, there's not a lot of interest. Like th- those two things together mean that this is a fairly <clears throat> niche post. Um, in fact, I posted it on Facebook and like I got five views, like total for this post, like total. I had that's like after all the postings like it's been posted on Twitter it's been posted on Facebook twice it's been posted uh well obviously on WordPress and and five five views that's not a lot of views um but I was joking with Scott about it and I was like oh yeah no I I posted it and I got five views and he was like oh good so then all of Generation X has read it (laughs) so yeah, f- that we're only five people. No, that's not true. Anyway, so uh, here it is. It is called, Is There, Was There a Gen X Theater? While watching a much-lauded play by a millennial playwright, I found myself thinking I was watching a very millennial play. I've had that feeling in theaters a lot lately, And it made me wonder where all the Gen X plays were. What is, what was the Gen X theater? Do we have one? Or did the theater world just sort of skip us? I know a lot of Gen X playwrights and several of them found success on prestigious stages, but I'm not sure they left any kind of generational mark behind. Some of them feel like writers of an earlier era, like their plays could have written by older generations. They're the sorts of plays the older, well-heeled folks at Manhattan Theater Club like. Are these the plays of my generation? I can't help feeling like we got skipped again. When I hear press raving about Hamilton being the first hip-hop musical, I wonder how the Gen X guys who made Bombady of Errors feel. They were out here rapping stories with hip-hop ensemble staging on American stages for ages. They're probably still at it. Or Danny Hawks, Jails, Hospitals, and Hip-Hop, an incredible one-man intersection of theater and hip-hop culture. But we'll never hear about these guys. Not even as possible inspiration for what's on now. Instead, it's as if Exennial, Lin-Manuel Miranda, gave birth to an entire genre, all on his own, like Venus rising from the foam. I have been racking my brain trying to find a time when Gen X had a theatrical moment, and I'm largely coming up short. The only thing that came immediately to mind was De La Guarda. A group of Argentine performers blew the roof off New York theater in the late 90s. Technically, they busted through the ceiling. But they're literally the only Gen X theatrical experience I can think of that feels Gen X-ish. And they were from Argentina. If I'm going to start going to other countries, well, then I might find some more Gen X theatrical influence. Emma Rice of Knee High Theater in the UK is a quintessential Gen X theater maker. I might, if I did a survey, find more Gen X theater around the world. 
But back here in NYC, I feel like the bulk of Gen X theater was made on the edges, left of center, in the fringes, in a lot of the spaces that are now lost to all of us. I wonder, when we lost Collective Unconscious, Manhattan Theater Source, Toto Connada, The Present Company Theatorium, Surf Reality, Galapagos, and so many more, if we were also actively losing any chance of a Gen X impact on theater. Have we lost it? Did we miss it? Maybe I'm forgetting some significant Gen X moment. Maybe there was a whole scene I missed? John Cameron Mitchell's Hedwig and the Angry Inch feels very Gen X-ish, but he's Generation Jones. I'm inclined to give this show a Gen X pass, though, and just go ahead and call it the most Gen X play I can think of. It may be significant that funding for the arts was gutted around the time we came of age. Gen X may have never really had the chance to flourish after the culture wars killed the NEA. Arts funding shifted to institutions, making the institutions more powerful, with less space for newcomers or individualistic Gen Xers. Arts programs in schools were eliminated as we went through them, and the stopgap arts programs that came in to replace them, basically the sorts of programs I worked for for years, weren't up to their full strength. Certainly, I benefited from a strong theater program in my public high school and orchestra in elementary and middle. I know a lot of my peers in other places were not so lucky. While we grew, arts transformed from the necessity they are to a luxury. There was no artistic net to catch us when we emerged, and no net has grown either. I don't know how subsequent generations have gotten so much farther than we did. Maybe it's just that never having seen what a non-commercial theater scene might be, they're built to rock those institutional commercial hybrids, which are sort of all we have now. Also, theater can be a popularity contest. Because millennials are better at banding together and because there are more of them, getting them to show up for a show is maybe easier? I don't know. I've begun to think about some shows I saw by a young millennial company about 10 years ago. Their productions were always packed, even sold out, but the work was terrible. I could not figure out how they managed to sell out such terrible plays when I couldn't get 20 people to show up for me. In thinking about generational theater, I wonder if it's just that that company had more peers, had more of a pool of people their age, and so they drew a bigger crowd. And then because they had big crowds, they did well with granting organizations and such because granting organizations always want to know how many people you're serving, and they generally want that answer to be more than 20. I don't know. It's just a theory. But I wonder if it's been a factor in my Gen X theater life. I know a lot of Gen X theater makers who are killing it. They are making better and better work all the time, so I'm not saying it's all over and we missed our shot or whatever. But I wonder... I'm wondering. Shout out your Gen X theater folk and help me remember who might have been forgotten. What is the Gen X theater? And where? And now an addendum, written later. While sitting on this question, for weeks, really, I thought of two shows that felt to me like possible Gen X representatives in theater history. Stomp and Blue Man Group. 
They both began on the fringes. They're both still running decades after they began. They aren't conventional theater. Their challenges to the dominant culture felt right for Gen X. I thought I really had something here. (laughs) But I looked them up. And Stomp was created in the UK by a baby boomer and Generation Jones guy. And the original blue men are all Generation Jones. Then the other day, I was in a bookstore, and they were playing the soundtrack from Rent. And I thought, ah, Rent. Yeah, maybe Rent is it. It's a world where everybody's trying to do their own thing. They're horrified by the idea of selling out. And, like, they're cool. Rent, the Gen X musical. Nope. Jonathan Larson was Generation Jones. He misses Gen X by at least five years. I'm using the 1965 to 1980 Gen X measure. Finally, as I was typing up this blog, I was thinking of some of the old theaters we used to do stuff in, and when I thought of the Theatorium, I thought of Urinetown. And I thought, yeah, hey, Urinetown. It's ironic, full of whatever energy, a little postmodern, very Gen X. I have it, Urinetown is the answer. And this is as close as I've managed to get. One of the guys, Greg Cotis, is actually Gen X. He's the very first year of Gen X, but he does actually qualify. His writing partner is Jen Jones, though. But then, as I was typing this, I realized there was another show I hadn't thought of yet. Avenue Q has three writers, and they are all firmly in the Gen X camp. Gary Coleman's presence in the musical really should have called it to mind earlier, but there it is. There's our Gen X representative, y'all. It was just sitting there waiting for me to remember it. I'm not sure it's quite Gen X enough in style, though it manages it in cultural references and ironic distance. Fine. Avenue Q, it is. But seriously, what else did I forget? And by the way, don't think I haven't noticed that every single thing I've considered as a possibility or a Gen X influence was made by dudes. Every single one. So pretty much all of the ideas that got generated after this came out were luckily all women. So uh, it was just my biased thinking, apparently. Um, so there, there have been some interesting discussions around this. Uh, the first sort of significant thing, I think, um, is that Sarah Kane was suggested as the sort of Gen X poster child. And I totally agree. Like, yes, I, I, I feel like I look at her work and go, yes, that is so Gen X-y. Um, but the only reason I feel like she's disqualified is that she's, you know, her work uh, came to the, the fore in the UK. Um, so yes, as a representative of the generation internationally, top of the line, absolutely. Um, but, but Where's the American Sarah Kane, you know? And I think a lot about how, like, where Sarah Kane came from in terms of her kind of artistic um, earth, like where she grew uh, and where she flourished. Like, where's our Sarah Kane? Where's, where, where do we in America, we don't have one because we didn't have institutional support the way she had, um, so there's a way where, I, in a way, I feel like the, the generational support 
um, was so lacking that we never really, we never, we never saw, saw, uh, uh, not that there aren't any writers that were, were kind of doing, doing the work. It's just that they didn't, um, get the public acclaim that they ought to have, should have. Yeah. So that's one thought I had, and then, or someone suggested, and then I had all those blah, blah, blah thoughts <laughs> following it. And the other suggestion that came up a lot was Sarah Rule, um, both Sarahs, interestingly. Uh, Sarah Rule, yes, is absolutely Gen X. She is 100% our generation, um, but there's something about her work that doesn't scream Gen X. So yes, agreed, she's a very popular Gen X writer, but... Like, do you look at her work and go, hey, that seems like a Gen X play? Like, they're uh, uh, just, for me, not so much. And someone I was talking to was like, oh, no, no, she feels like a millennial writer to me, um, which is interesting. And what do these things mean? I don't know. But uh, given that this whole post was inspired by a desire to find something equivalent to all the millennial plays I'm seeing, not that I, uh, uh, like, which is not about whether the playwrights are actually millennial or not but more about does this this play seems like it's of this generation it has a a generational vibe so so there's a way where while sarah rule is generation x her work does not feel like gener like you don't look at it and go yes that's a gen x play at least i don't maybe others do um yeah so those are some of the things that came up in discussion after this blog uh, went out. And if you have other people that we've forgotten that seem like quintessentially Gen X reps, let me know. Um, yeah, so th those are those thoughts. What can I tell you? Oh, um, the song here today, when I was writing this with this post, I thought I was going to do um, Suzanne Vega's left of center because I basically quoted it in the middle of the blog and I realized I haven't somehow weirdly haven't done it yet even though I was absolutely obsessed with that song for much of my life um, but I totally forgot I was going to do that and then went and learned uh, a song from Avenue Q since it was the winning show <laughs> in the Gen X representative lobby uh, yeah so um in a moment here, you will hear my rendition of Schadenfreude from the musical Avenue Q, played on ukulele. Um, I feel like this song feels very Gen X-y, honestly, <laughs> for better or for worse. Uh, maybe Schadenfreude is the is the is the Gen X theme. <laughs> I don't actually know. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. That is a great way to support it. And uh, other ways to support are to tell someone about it, share it on the social medias, etc. Um, also, if you'd like to support the podcast uh, financially, that would be amazing. Uh, number one place to do that is patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. And you can become a patron and receive uh, the songs from this here blogcast as well as the zine every year. Um, and other ways are on PayPal or Ko-fi. Um, yeah, so those links are in the show notes. And so without further ado, I give to you Schadenfreude. Right now you are down. 
down and out and feeling really crappy. And when I see how sad you are, it sort of makes me happy. Sorry, Nikki, human nature, nothing I can do. Watching actors never reach the ending of their Oscar speech.